Let's pray together. Father, that is the desire of our hearts. Wherever we live, wherever we serve, wherever we school, that we might please our Father's heart. You have emptied your heart for us. And so we've been asking, daring to ask, in advance of a new school year, already thinking and praying, would you do a new thing? Dear God, would you do a new thing around here? Please, speak to us, teach us through Holy Scripture this morning. Call our hearts to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I get this text message from one of my friends. After the first installment of this little mini-series that ends right now, I will do a new thing. And then I get this story from another friend of mine, totally unrelated, no connection, except when I, get the, when I see the text message and the story, I'm saying, this, this is a powerful combination. The text message, my friend Gary Burns, sitting out here a few Sabbaths ago, at the end of the first installment, he texts me this message. One line in it, and then three words. Here's the line. Three key ingredients to transformational revival. That sounds pretty, pretty heavy. Three key ingredients to transformational revival. And then he puts three words. He just lines them up on top of each other. I don't know that they were aligned any, in any particular order in his thinking, but I noticed, boy, it spells a word. First word, D. Second word begins with D. Second word begins with U. Third word, E. D-U-E. Do. It's do. And as I brooded over these three words these last three weeks, you know, the question that has come to my mind, could it be that these three words are past due, they're overdue in our experience? Three words and one story. So the story is from my friend uh, Ron Cluzet. It, uh, unbelievable. You're, you're not going to believe it. But here, here, here is, here is the, the, uh, the insertion. He talked to the, to the key person in this story that you're about to hear. Ron Cluzet, teaches over here, uh, wrote that wonderful book that we spent the whole year as a staff reading, The Outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Adventism's Greatest Need. So we, we just finished the book a few, few days ago. Listen to this story. Amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So here goes. In the days right before the collapse of communism, and I'm thinking, okay, this would be what, 87, 88? This is in Romania. 87, 88, 89, somewhere in there. In the days right before the collapse of communism, life was tough for Romanians. It was tough for Romanian Seventh-day Adventists. Lack of available goods, rampant political corruption and poverty dominated people's lives. But my friend, so Ron's telling the story, but my friend Pavel was a rich man. He had been faithful to God in everything he knew, risking education, advancement, and opportunities to honor the Sabbath and other Bible teachings. God rewarded such faithfulness by placing him as the owner of a sewing business which made serious money. Remember, now this is before the fall of communism in Romania. He was taking in more than half a million dollars a year. That was big money. And was poised in association with a German company to quadruple that income. As they were asking God whether or not to take that step in business, the local conference called Pavel to be a full-time pastor. They had no clue what he was making. A pastor's salary in Romania was $250 a month, a tenth of 1% of his potential income. 
but he walks away from it all. So now the story goes. He and Dana, his wife, decided to, to surrender all to Jesus. They sold their nice home and cars and gave away practically everything they owned. They bought an old Russian jalopy, a little box on wheels, so as not to make their members envious. But they found their four-church district to be a complete mess. Jealousy and gossip ran high. Struggles for leadership power were the business of the day. Acrid argumentation was common over, over small items such as the worship service. The churches appeared to be everything except a community that followed Jesus. And so the new pastor wonders, how could he bring people to new people to those churches? He decided to practice the fundamentals. He encouraged families to gather together for seasons of prayer. We're kind of thinking about that around here, aren't we? Seasons of prayer. As they knelt together, they begin to realize the true condition of their hearts. This leads them to confession and surrender. As a body of believers, they entreated the healing power of the Holy Spirit to rule supreme in their personal lives as a blessing upon the church. Within two years, the membership doubled. Okay, so God's blessing. That little uh, community. As they reached out to friend and neighbor, they added a new congregation, two new church plants. This kind of progress, by the way, doesn't go unnoticed by the enemy of souls. And he prepared a counterattack to strike just two weeks before the start of Pavel's next evangelistic series of meetings. So here we go now. Now the plot thickens. As Pavel drove outside of Otelu Rosu, the town, one day a teen decided to cross the highway without looking in his direction. The car struck the boy's hip and leg, sent him flying straight up into the air, only for him to land right in front of Pavel, too late for Pavel to hit the boy again, this time on his head and shoulders. Yeah. The teenager's body was a crumpled mess with blood running out of his ears, nose, mouth, and eyes. He was rushed to the hospital, his brain hemorrhaged profusely. His spine was broken in two places, one of his lungs punctured. He had a broken hip, arm, and leg. A team of physicians did their best to save him, but without success. After he died, they covered him with a sheet, and each one filed out of the emergency room, leaving the boy, Mene Mene, to be taken to the morgue later. Poor Mene Mene had been a 19-year-old, well-known in town, suffering from motor coordination deficiencies. He couldn't control his arms or legs well and had come close to being killed crossing the street on more than one occasion. The people had given him his nickname to ridicule his stuttering problem. Mene Mene. Now, the Adventist pastor had killed one of the best recognized characters in town. Pavel was devastated by the loss of that innocent young life and the damage to God's cause at a time when the Spirit was blessing them so much. Pavel remained next to Mene Mene's bed praying for him. God, what are the people of Otelu Rosu going to say when they hear that I killed a young man just beginning his life? They know I'm a pastor. What will they think? If need be, I am willing to exchange my life for his. I know you're able to bring him back to life if you choose. I'm asking you, God, please bring him back. Please, God, please. One of the doctors caught him praying and told him to go home. He assured Pavel the boy was very dead and that it was too late to pray for him now. Just face it, it's over, the doctor said. But Pavel believed in a bigger God than those communist doctors had ever dreamed of. Back home, he and his wife spent the entire night pleading before God that if there was any way to restore the young man's life for God's honor and glory to please do it, and they accepted God's will whichever way it went. 
The next morning, Pava returned to the hospital to meet with the family. Instead, found a commotion around many, many who was now sitting up in bed eating. He was alive. A host of medical professionals crowded into the room, bewildered, comparing x-rays from that morning with the ones taken the day before. To the inexplicable amazement of everyone, the new x-rays showed absolutely no damage whatsoever to the brain, the spine, the hip, or the lungs. The young man had broken, only had a broken arm and leg. In addition, listen, in addition, his speech was perfect for the first time in his life. And when the teen was discharged, the stutter was gone. And when the teen was discharged, they saw that he had full control of his arms and legs. Another miracle. You can imagine the news in town. And when the evangelistic meetings began, the whole area turned out for them. Packing the church with many staying for questions after each presentation. The result, the church doubled its membership again. Now, now Ron adds, this is not simply a great story. It is a great life lived by someone who's chosen to live the spirit-filled life to the fullest. Now here, Pavel was my student and is currently my colleague in ministry. Can you believe that? Three words. And we're going to couple those three words with two factors in this story. Number one, he prays. I'm asking you, God, please, please raise him back to life. And number two, he and his wife spend the entire night in prayer asking if God might do a new thing that has never been done before. Two factors, three words. Do you know what those three words are? Guess what they might be? I want to scribble them down now. When you write them down, you will, you will never forget these three words as long as you live. You're going to write them down right now. Grab your, uh, grab your study guide out of today's worship bulletin. Three words that I pray you will never forget. Three words. Three words. Uh, thank you, ushers. They're coming your way. If you didn't get today's study guide, you need today's. This is the final piece in this little mini-series. And I'd love for you to have the study guide up in the balcony down here. All right. Uh, those of you watching on television right now, we're delighted to have you as well. Get these three words. Go to our, go to our website. You see it there on the screen, www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for the little mini-series ending right now, I Will Do a New Thing. The first, the first part installment was the prayer. The second, no, the first one was the promise. The second one was the prayer. And today is the purpose. All right. I will do a new thing, and when it says study guide, you click on there. If you didn't get the first two, by the way, uh, you can download the, the other two. Three words. How did Gary, uh, what, what did he call them? Three key ingredients to transformational revival. Okay, so we know the first one starts with, with D. Desperation. Desperation. That was Pavel. Desperation. You, what do you think you would be? Urgency. Urgency. These are all nouns. Desperation. You. Urgency. What do, you think e, what do you think E would be? Expectancy. I mean, he's, he is praying the impossible, but he expects that if God wanted to, God could. D-U-E. Desperation, urgency, expectancy. Three words. 
I'm wondering out loud with you if these three words are not overdue. They're not past due in our own prayer journey. And you say, come on, Dwight. I mean, look, at we got the stunning promise. I admit that promise in Isaiah 43, 19 is something else. But what do these three words have to do with that promise? They have everything to do with that promise and the claiming of it. In fact, let's, there's one more line from Isaiah that you haven't seen yet. And I want to get to that in a moment. But I want to go back to Isaiah 43. Let's read that promise again. Remember from the children's story, you, you, you take the word from my mouth and I put my word in your mouth. That's, that's where the miracle takes place. Let's put God's word in our mouths for a few moments here. This is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. You got it on your, your, uh, your little iPad. You got it on your telephone. You don't have either. Grab the pew Bible in front of you. Track it in the pew Bible. I want you to see this, particularly what's about to come. But this is Isaiah 43, 19. It's page 489 in the uh, pew Bible in front of you. God is speaking. He's talking to Israel. These are his people. Isaiah 43, 19, behold. God says, listen, 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 listen up. Behold, I will do a new thing. Let's read that line out loud together. Behold, I will do a new thing. And then immediately God starts talking about water. Now it shall spring forth, shall you know it? It will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The next two verses, four times in those two verses, we, we noted when we began this little mini-series, he's speaking of water, rivers in the wilderness, waters in the desert. Drink for my chosen ones. Behold, I will do a new thing. And then four breaths later, there were no chapter divisions, I remind you, in Isaiah. Just goes right into to, uh, chapter 44. Verse 3, now the clue is explained. The water clue, the H2O clue now is identified. Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on her who is thirsty. I'll pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. God says, I will do a new thing. What is God's new thing? Jot it down in your study guide, please. What is that new thing? I will pour out my spirit. I'll pour out my spirit on your children. God is clearly describing an outpouring on a new generation. Which, by the way, for, for this little university parish, that would surely include the 3,600 children of the church that are in Andrews University. 3,600. That would also include the nearly 300 at Andrews Academy, the nearly 300 in Ruth Murdoch Elementary School, the 100 or so public school, high school students we have. That would include the faculty. That would surely include the staff, the administration, the community. And then I get an email from Glennis Bradfield, who works over here at Griggs University, which is, you know, a, a part of Andrews University now. And she said, hey, listen, Dwight, I love this praying for our campus, but don't forget that Andrews University now is more than just these uh, 4,000 who are here. She says, we've got 2,000 plus in the International Academy. We have 2,000 plus who are in Griggs. We have 2,000 plus in our, in, our, in our distance learning. That's another 6,900. Include them in this new thing, please. It will go the, it will belt the entire planet. Good point, Glennis. I will do a new thing, for I will pour out my spirit on you and your children. I guess the question for me is how desperate am I for God's new thing to be done around here? I mean, we're talking about desperation, urgency, and expectancy. How desperate am I? When God listens to Dwight praying, when God listens to me praying, does he get any sense of this, 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 this 
urgency? Any sense of expectancy when you pray? Desperation, urgency, expectancy. How much of that are we around here? Could it be that DUE, that, that, that these three are long overdue in our collective prayer journey on this campus? You know what? There has never been a revival in the history of God's work on earth without desperation, urgency, and expectancy. It's just, it's just not, you don't want it. I'm not going to get, you don't want it. Three key ingredients for transformational revival. That's why there's one more line to ponder in Isaiah. This is our last line. We, 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 first installment we began with Isaiah 43, 44. Uh, last time we were together was Isaiah 66, verse, verse 8. When, when Zion labors, when she travails, then she gives birth to a new generation. I want to end with this one, Isaiah 62. This is absolutely phenomenal. Did you know this is in your Bible? Incredible. Isaiah chapter 62. I want you to take a look at this. Last line that we, we, we add in our, uh, I will do a new thing. Our passion to ask God to do a new thing here. This is Isaiah 62. Let's pick it up in verse 6. God speaking again to his people. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. Hit the pause button right there. We, you know, Jerusalem, another name for Jerusalem is Zion. That's God's people in the Old Testament. When you get to the New Testament, he drops Jerusalem pretty much in Zion. And now it's, it's, the, it's the church. It's the called out ones. The chosen are called the church. So... The promise God is about, the appeal God is about to make is to the church, is to us. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. Let me hit the pause button again. That word watchman, that's a significant word because there are some people in our midst, you know this and I know it as well, there are some people in our midst who have made an extraordinary commitment to pray on behalf of the community of faith. I, I, I think of them as intercessors of the first degree. They're usually anonymous. They are unknown, but they are passionate in their intercession for this campus, for all three campuses. They never walk around and say, oh, by the way, I've been praying. No, never, never. But one day they'll be rewarded, and God, in fact, rewards them in advance. He says, you know what, girl? You know what, boy? You are a sentinel on the walls of my community. You are a watch person, and I desperately need you to pray on. In fact, notice what he says here. I have set, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They, now notice this, they, you know these anonymous ones, they shall never hold their peace, day or night. They don't care what the... What, what the uh, the uh, budget reports are. They're not, they, don't, they don't tag their praying to attendance figures. They are simply intent. Desperation, urgency, and expectancy. They are driven to keep paying, praying night and day. They shall never hold their peace night or day. But lest we think we can defer to them, just if, oh, listen, we got these, we got these prayer giants around. Let's let them pray. No, 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 no. God says you. He's talking to you and me now. You who make mention of the Lord. NIV renders this here. You who call on the Lord. That's all of us. You who are asking me to do a new thing. 
You, you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. No rest. You stay on this thing. I like the way the New Living Translation renders it. Put it on the screen for you. I think it's in your study guide. The New Living. O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen and watchwomen on your walls. They will pray to the Lord day and night for the fulfillment of His promises. But the rest of us, take no rest, all of you who pray. Jot that word down. Take no rest, all of you who pray. Give to the Lord no rest until He makes Jerusalem the object of praise throughout the earth. Don't let up. Stay on me. Stay on me. You take no rest. You give me no rest. And then the newest translation I have in, in my collection is The Voice. And I like it. It's pretty fresh. I put it on the screen for you. I like this rendition. God speaking, tirelessly, tirelessly pester God. Tirelessly pester me. Give me no rest until I establish Jerusalem and make it worthy of praise throughout the whole world. Take no rest. Give me no rest. You pester me. What is that? That's desperation. That's urgency. What's the third word again? What's the third one? The E? What is it? Expectancy. That's it right there. Desperation, urgency, expectancy. Another friend of mine, God bless his soul, gave me a book just this week. Title of the book, The Circle Maker, Praying Circles Around Your Biggest Dreams and Greatest Fears. I need to tell you about this, friend. He is very much immersed in this process of praying, this preseason, we're calling it, of prayer. Anyway, I started reading the book. It's written by uh, Mark Batterson. Boy, he, he caught this idea of desperation. Just came upon this, and I thought, oh, that, that fits. Look at this. Put it on the screen for you. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and there is, more, there is no more desperate act than praying hard. There comes a moment, go on, there comes a moment when you need to throw caution to the wind and draw a circle in the sand. This book opens up with a story from the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. There was a Jewish prophet named Hani, uh, H-O-N-I. Incredible story. I'll share it with you sometime. Hani one day draws a circle in the sand. The whole city's watching, and he steps into that circle. And he says, God, I'm not coming out until you answer this prayer. So what he's saying is here, do the same. Draw a circle. In the, there comes a moment when you need to throw caution to the wind. Draw a circle in the sand. God, I'm drawing a circle in the sand for Andrews University, and I'm not coming out of this circle. I'm not coming out of this circle till you answer this prayer. That's what it means to step into a circle in the sand. Pray hard. That can't be the, 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 the casual two-minute quickie before we hurry into a new day. That's not praying hard. Pray hard. There comes a moment when you need to throw caution to the wind and draw a circle in the sand. Keep reading. There comes a moment when you need to defy protocol, drop to your knees, and pray for the impossible. Can you believe that? Pavel goes into that emergency room. He's, lying beside, he's kneeling beside the corpse, and he is praying for what is absolutely impossible. It has never been done before. Stop praying for the impossible. Nope. Desperation. What's you? Urgency and... Expectancy call for praying for the impossible. It's never happened. But you're asking God to do what you've never seen Him do before. That's the impossible. You know what a resurrection is? There's another word for it. It's called revival. 
A system is basically spiritually asleep, dead. It'll take a resurrection to bring that system, that institution, that organization, that family, that marriage, it will take a resurrection to bring that life back to life. Impossible? Ask for the impossible. That's, that's, that's Batterson's point. There comes a moment when you need to defy protocol, drop to your knees, and pray for the impossible. There comes a moment when you need to muster every ounce of faith you have and call down rain from heaven. Just call it down. I'm not leaving this circle, God, until you rain. You said I will do a new thing. You said I'll pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. I'm asking you, God. I'm not coming out of that circle. I'm not telling you how. I'm not telling you when. But I'm telling you I'm in that circle until you do. I believe that we are at that time for all three campuses of this parish. There's a vacuum of moral leadership on this campus. A vacuum that can only be filled by a new generation of transformed moral leaders. I told you a few days ago that one of our chaplains, Domi Dwight, I've been interviewing students. Is, is I've not seen anything like it. Vacuum of moral leadership. How did Batterson put it? Desperate times call for desperate measures, and there is no more desperate act than praying hard. That's why we're having this preseason of prayer. By the way, 76 days from today, the new year begins. Every other year that you and I have been together, we've waited till the night before the new year. All right, God, time to do something special around here. And it suddenly occurs to all of us, why are we waiting till the opening day? Why don't we pray this summer through? 76 days from today, a new year begins on all three campuses. Why don't we ask God and believe? 247 of you, that opening installment, 247 of you, I thank God for you. You said, hey, listen, Dwight, I'll join you. Put your name down, I'll join you. And I'm so grateful. When I went over to speak at Andrews Academy, as God was beginning this stirring in my own heart, those kids jumped to their feet. They're praying. Ruth Murdoch asked me to come this week to speak at the eighth graders and seventh graders. They're standing. In fact, let me just share some emails with you that have come my way. Whoops. Don't worry about them. Don't need them. It is from my friend uh, Gordon Doss. Teaches over here in the seminary. Dwight. I won't read them all. Dwight, remembering how blessed and formative the campus revival of the early 70s was for us as college students, your call for prayer for the coming school year really touched my heart. In the first summer session, I am teaching a class of 57 Master of Divinity students. This week, we started praying by pairs at the opening of each day for a revival in the seminary and the whole campus. God bless a leader like this, huh? Here's Dean Burrow, Jennifer. Lampson Hall. Hey, Dwight, I've been thinking about your sermon this past Sabbath and talking with students about it the past several days. I've had, I have a group of 20 RA student dean staff that are primed and ready for your challenge of moral leadership. After your sermon, I started to think that although we already call them to this way of life, is there anything more we can do to strengthen and emphasize it? We've chosen our theme for the new year, out of this world. God, call this generation out of this world. But we're left with the challenge of how to reach these students, to point them to Christ as the answer to their longings, and find joy in a relationship with Jesus. Know that we in Lampson are on board with that challenge. Praise God. Students are gone. This is the time to be praying. 
This is from the principal at Andrews Academy, Bob Overstreet. Pastor Dwight, you must know the moment you left my office that morning, God has not let me rest over this topic. I've had conversations with three leaders within our community about the same topic, none of which I initiated. My prayer is, God, please use me in any way to do your work. I'm willing to roll up my sleeves, put on my work gloves, get my boots on the ground. Please let this email officially let you know of my interest in involving Andrews Academy to help lead the charge in doing a new thing. That's what it takes. We just say, okay, do something we've never seen before. Oh, here's, a, here's another dean over here. God bless her. This is June Price. And uh, she sent this to all the leaders on campus, bless her heart. And I got a copy. She sent one to me. Dear colleagues, God's Spirit is at work on our campus calling us to pray. It was just a little over a week ago that Pastor Nelson called us to pray. In just two days it passed since he issued a 90-day call to prayer. We are blessed with a great prayer room here in Lampson Hall and wish to open it to all of the AU community over these next 90 days, now 76. We've set up a prayer station in there as well as space for independent prayer. With the busyness of campus, it's nice to have a quiet place to set aside for retreat and prayer. And then Jenny, the dean over there, she sends me a picture. It's just, isn't that beautiful? That's the prayer room at Lampson Hall. From 7 in the morning till 10 at night. You want to go to Lampson Hall, ask them for the prayer room? You'll go in there. You can pray. Oh, God, please, you promised to do a new thing. Will you this new year please do a new thing? Not to be outdone, Meyer Hall. This is uh, James Price, assistant dean of men. Hey, Pastor Dwight, I've been blessed and inspired by the Holy Spirit's initiative to move us as a campus to have a preseason of prayer. For those of us serving in resident hall life, the call to travail, that was last time, has not fallen on deaf ears. Near the end of the summer, which will be near the end of the 90 days, Meyer Hall will host an annual event known as the Blessing. We will pray at the Blessing. Wow. <laughs> oh, hey, this is interesting. This is from Virginia. Pastor Nelson, you no doubt get asked this so often you could scream, but I would really like to get a copy of your sermon, The Prayer, I Will Do a New Thing, which I heard on my local radio station, WXTR, Tappahannock, Virginia. Now listen, your message was inspiring. I'm not a pastor or a deacon, just a Sunday school teacher of older adults. There is a hunger in this land for God to do a new thing. Any breed, any stripe, there's a longing for us to just sit here and act as if it's status quo all over again. How sad it would be. Well, we're not sitting here. There's another one. Skip that one. One more. So this is from the eighth grade. This is, this is, from, uh, this is from Brianna Martin. She's a junior high teacher over here at Ruth Murdoch. Happy Sabbath, Pastor Nelson. I was blessed by the words that God spoke this morning in church and will be claiming that promise in Isaiah 44 for myself and for this campus. I'm a teacher in grades 7 and 8, Ruth Murdoch. I have a burden on my heart for the 8th graders who will be leaving us in a few days. I've been praying that they will leave with a desire and the means to continue Adventist education, but also that they will leave with a desire to be ambassadors for Jesus wherever they go next year. Think about it. In the same way Anders Academy is a feeder for the university, which is what I told those academy kids, even so Ruth Murdoch is a feeder for Anders Academy. Pray for us. I will do a new thing. Wow. Obviously, brothers and sisters, we, we can't talk about this as asking. Let's, let's, let's ask God to do a new thing. Are you kidding? Let's plead with God. Desperation. Give me the three again. What is it? Desperation, urgency, expectancy. 
What if we began to pray with DUE, desperation, urgency, and expectancy? 76 days, all three campuses. What if we prayed? I will do a new thing, God says. So don't take any rest. Pester me, pester me. And see if I'll not open the windows of heaven for you. Christ's object lessons, that little classic on Jesus' parables. Talk about DUE, here it is. Put it on the screen. Plead. That's desperation, urgency. If there ever was an expectancy, plead. Plead for the Holy Spirit. God stands back of every promise He's made. Isaiah 43, Isaiah 44, but of course, with your Bible in your hands, in your, your, your private worship in the morning, wherever it is you have your worship, with your Bible in your hands, you can put your finger on that. You can say to God, I have done as you said. I present your promise. Accident will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. When with earnestness and intensity, desperation, urgency, and expectancy, when with earnestness and intensity we breathe a prayer in the name of Christ. I thought this was, this was phenomenal. When you sense that spirit of intensity in you and you breathe the prayer, notice that next line, there is in that very intensity a pledge from God that He's about to answer our prayer exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know why? Because you can't, I, look, look, look. I cannot fake desperation. It's impossible to fake. You know in your heart, I'm not desperate. I'm just faking this. You cannot fake urgency. You cannot fake expectancy. It just wells up. God wells it up. And if it's welling up in you, the very intensity that is welling up in your heart is a sign. I'm a hey girl. I'm about to do that. Stay with me. Pester me. Don't give me any rest. You take no rest. Stay with me. We can make it if you won't quit. Don't quit on me, Dwight. Don't quit on me now. Plead for the Holy Spirit. Go to the floor. Go to the mat. Put your nose in the rug, in the carpet. Oh, God, I'm not asking you. I'm pleading with you. You said I will do a new thing. I'm asking you. I'm pleading. Do a new thing around here. Guess what? I love this. There's a bonus promise tucked in when you do. Watch this. There's a bonus. This is something. Across the page, Christ's Object Lessons, the more earnestly and steadfastly we ask, the closer will be our spiritual union with Christ. The more you ask, the closer you grow. The more you ask, the closer you grow. The more I ask, the closer I grow to Jesus. Desperation, say it with me, desperation, expectancy. You'll never forget those three words because they capture what God is saying. Give me no rest now. Stay on me. Stay on me until I do. And it will come. The rainfall will come. I believe with all my heart that it will come to Andrews University. Now, listen to me carefully. I have no idea when. I'm not giving God, a, you know, God, you got 76 days. Whoa, I hope you're doing something. No, I, I can't do that. I may be dead and gone, but I stand before you today to tell you that I believe that one day His promise will come true 
for this campus. And He will do a new thing. Leaders come and leaders go. I'll be gone. So what? There'll be somebody else that believes. And one day, you say, you didn't give me any rest, girl. You didn't give me any rest, boy. And today's the day. Oh, I want to be here. I do. But I'm not insisting on anything except you have to fulfill this promise, please. Do a new thing in our midst. I want to end with a story. Gary Williams in his book, Welcome Holy Spirit, shares this story. It's about the great Scottish preacher James A. Stewart. This happened in a European city before World War II. All right? He's a great preacher in the 20th century. He'd gone to that city for a revival. He went around preaching. Usually as he had come, I'm starting to read here, usually as he had come to preach in other cities, it had taken weeks or months of prayer and spiritual preparation before the revival came. But in this city where the meetings had begun with only seven people at a Friday evening prayer service, they started with seven, in five days thousands were filling the auditorium and large numbers converted. Now, Dr. Stewart, in his little book, uh, Drops from the Honeycomb, first-person account, one evening, he's writing now, one evening, the Lord very kindly allowed me to discover the secret of the blessing. Being afraid that I would not have sufficient power of the Spirit to proclaim the evangel or the good news to the thousands who had gathered, I made my way to the basement of the auditorium in order to have a few minutes in prayer. I began to pray in the darkness, but it was not long before I felt an overwhelming sense of the majesty of God. I knew right away there was someone else in that large basement praying. I quietly, you can picture him trying to find the, the light switch in the dark. I quietly put on the light, and there I saw at the extreme end of the basement some 12 sisters flat on their faces before God. They were totally unaware of my presence. They were inside the veil, touching the throne by the power of the Spirit, while upstairs God was working mightily among the unsaved. Twelve women on their faces before God. Three words for transformational revival and one campus. Like the twelve women, I say, we go to the mat for God. I will do a new thing. Oh, God. We're not telling you how. We're not telling you when. But please, dear God, you know our hearts. Please. Do a new thing in our midst. Start in my empty life. Do whatever it takes for Anders University and Anders Academy and Ruth Murdoch Elementary School. 
do whatever it takes so that you might pour out water on those who are thirsty and your spirit upon our children. That's it, Father. We're not like the priests of Baal, rain dancing on the top of Mount Carmel, thinking that we can engender the desperation, the urgency, and the expectancy. We're quietly like Elijah, daring to believe that you could do the impossible even here and resurrect. A new generation. Oh God, please use our prayers to that end, we humbly ask and plead in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. I wanted to take an extra moment to let you know how grateful I am you joined us today. I hear from viewers and listeners like you all across this nation and literally around the world, and I'm thankful because it's through the generosity of the members of this congregation and people like you that we're able to bring you this program. So if what we share today has touched your heart, I'd like to invite you to become a financial partner with us. Just give us a call. Toll-free number 877, the two words, His Will. 877, His Will. Or if you'd rather, go to our website, www.pmchurch.tv. Either way, your generosity will bless a new generation in cyberspace all over this planet. So thank you. Thank you very much for your partnership.